Yeah, let's run that tape back. Yeah, uh, uh, Henry, we're gonna need you a little those, tighter those on those claps again. On those percussive claps. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right, well, what do you say, uh, I don't know, what do you say we have a podcast here? Let's yeah, do man, it. Let's fire this thing up. All right, here we go. Episode 62, GearBuds Podcast. Henry and Dave are here, here alone, together, and apart, as always. Yeah. Uh, and we have we have another amazing guest this week, and that is Mr. Noah Pelty. What's up, dude? Hey, up? how you guys doing? Can't complain. So good, so good. And... Uh, we're going to talk all about Noah and all the cool stuff he does and, and, and his band, Cannon Hill. Uh, but before we do that, we're just going to dive on into the usual stuff we do, which uh, usually starts off with the Symphony of Corrections. So here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Uh, and here is the weekly quarantine reminder to Noah that if you were actually here with us and, and doing this podcast in person, this is where we would bequeath upon the uh, a tone tube of your own. And if, and if you don't know yet, now you know tone tubes are cables. Uh, in fact, I should actually say that cables are tone tubes. Yeah, so, correct. Uh, you've got a patch cable coming your way someday. Hey. We have a lot to mail out. <laughs> the post office yeah, is going to so love many. you, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to, I just got to start po- compiling boxes now. Uh, thanks to James Beasley III, uh, amazing guest from last week, uh, and all of the new listeners that checked us out from that episode. As always, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Dave, by the way, just killing it as always uh, on Facebook. I, I wanted to quickly mention yeah. that uh, that reverb story you posted that uh, was pretty dang cool about all the old uh, gallery of vintage music oh, well, you, catalogs. You actually, thank you, because you sent me that article, I think, the night before. And I was like, what should I post oh, really? today? Yeah, you sent it to me. And you were like, oh. dude, this is ultimately because, you know, I do a little graphic design. And, you know, I was like, oh, th- these go back to the 20s and 30s. All those old catalogs of Gibson and mandolins and, you know, crazy crazy little black and white photos and i just i love all that shit man oh i love that stuff every time i go to any sort of estate sale that's the kind of shit i'm looking for is old catalogs especially for like sears roebuck and stuff where you can see the old Mm -hmm. harmony and stella things dude oh absolutely exactly yeah especially the sears ones man because they used to have those cheap little guitars like the k's and all that oh the absolute best and those are so like they're i wouldn't say they're valuable now but they're definitely uh people definitely collect those yeah i i very much because i am just a collector of old things by nature once i saw that article i was like oh man is this is this like the next thing that i am gonna have to collect now because yeah. they're i i want all of them but they're 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 not cheap always and the cool ones are, are more pe- expensive people for sure. they're they're more expensive and people want to hang on to them they're just so yeah. damn cool to have you know on the old coffee table yeah, or whatever yeah for uh, sure. henry did you ever did you ever get one of those silvertone guitars the sears like brand you know the old 60s ones yeah, well, I I've owned a K, so yeah, the, yeah, all those all those guitars were made in the same factory outside right. of Chicago. Just different stamps uh, for a while. Yep. Yeah, so um, I did. I had a I had a pretty cool K from the '60s for a while that I wound up selling. My my first guitar w- was a Harmony, but it was like a you know early '90s uh, when they were like new coming still still probably from Sears, frankly mm-hmm. uh, electric guitar. So I, I ha- and I still have that. You know, that's kicking around. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I've got a. Uh, I've got a Stella uh, made in Chicago from I think the fifties. It's oh, a, acoustic. Yeah, it's like a little parlor guitar, all birch. Um, and it's it's bright yellow, like piss yellow, no with, way. with oh, yeah. painted tiger stripes to make it look like flamed maple. 
it's oh, just wow. it's just that's awesome. amazing <laughs> dude i gotta see that thing man well yeah, but I'm it looks so bad I'll, I'll send a picture to you guys it's pretty oh, awesome. i love the ones that look bad the, the bad looking ones that you know quote unquote bad are kind of the coolest ones in my opinion so oh definitely we've t- we've talked about the old fender photo flame on here is this like the proto photo flame yeah. is this like paint, paint <laughs> sounds paint, like it painto proto photo definitely it's like the lowest tech possible like definitely a dude with just like a piece of paper as a stencil just like trying to wow. figure out it was awesome oh i can't wait to see that yeah dude you gotta send a uh, we picture will, of we'll, that. we'll probably have to do a little repost of that yeah, i'll one send too. i'll send uh, a shot Hell yeah. Well, uh, what were we saying? Oh, yeah. Subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you go to GearBudsPodcast.com, up in the top right corner, I actually finally updated the free stuff. Hey, awesome. Uh, the free stuff section. Uh, so we've been keeping a running list, especially during lockdown, of just all the different plugins and software and offer, uh, offers that companies have been offering right now. Uh, for for stuff that you can do at home and uh, I got a little lazy with it for a minute but I did update it all this week all that stuff is up there now that we've talked about a new one that I actually now that I'm now that I'm sitting here looking at it I know that I downloaded it and used it I can't remember if I actually put this on the site yet uh, but I will a company called Acon Digital put out a free uh, plugin called Multiply and Dave and, and and friends and listeners of me will know that this is a little strange for me to to say here, but it's a chorus plugin. Oh, you and love chorus. I am I am an <laughs> I'm I am on, on the book hater of all things chorus. Uh, I will say that this one is interesting because it does this thing. Uh, I, I'm not going to get into sort of all the the science of how chorus works, but essentially you take a signal, you duplicate it and slightly delay it and right. do different filtering things. And, and this causes things like phasing, flanging course, et cetera. And then you have One the late eighties. Sort of yeah. And then you have the late eighties. Exactly. <laughs> And uh, one of the sort of inherent things to chorus is this comb filtering effect, which essentially means either emphasizing or or removing very specific cuts of of frequencies. And and this plugin that I'm talking about, Multiply, has this really interesting uh, thing behind it where it reduces that comb filtering effect, and to me makes it sound actually way cooler. Mm-hmm. More sort of, and and you can do a lot of things with it, but the the sort of example that I was able to to get out of it was a little bit more like a kind of Beatles automatic uh, automated double tracking the ADT thing that they would do a lot where they would sort of double parts mm-hmm. uh, artificially uh, it kind of does something a little bit more like that which I thought was really cool That's so cool. anyways pl- chorus plugins uh, are, are normally not my thing but this one is Acon digital multiply and it's free nice. so go check it out uh, cool some uh, some actually we've, we've got some updates to go with this week yeah um, Prince's DX7, uh, we were talking about last week that uh, that was for sale uh, via keyboard. auction. Yeah, you know, I, I gotta say I blew it. I didn't I didn't put the price on here, but I want to say it was like seventy thousand dollars. Wow, Jesus. it went for. They expected yeah, it to DX7? go for like twenty five. I think right. I think yeah, twenty five was what the auction house had said. It was something I wanted. For some reason, the number sixty six is sticking in my brain right now. I want to say it was like sixty six thousand dollars plus. You know, I'm sure there are all sorts of taxes and things yeah. on top of that. Yeah, auction fees uh, and stuff. So, crazy amount of money to spend on uh, an eighty synth, but hey. No, did you see that thing? Princes. Uh, I did yeah. not see that go up, but that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so the coolest thing about it, I thought, was it had um, strips of masking tape on it with Prince's handwriting of, like, oh, you know, the, shit. The, the different, like, you know, button, you know, the different switches he would use. And didn't he have them labeled, like, really funky, too? It was like. 
cool bass or something or yeah it was like it was like cool drums i think was definitely one <laughs> yeah. of them yeah that's, uh, which i want to know awesome. prince's idea of it's cool really cool just is. to have something like that like he sat there with a marker and just did that so that's that's pretty freaking cool i love shit like that uh not n- yeah. not the only piece of uh gear that sold this week because oh. i was really burying the lead on this one here yeah. intentionally uh right as right as we as we went to press yep. last week uh, a very very famous guitar sold and that guitar is kurt cobain's martin i can't remember what year it is off the top of my head i know it's early 50s maybe like a 53 oh mm-hmm. the the yeah. grandpa the grandpa martin yeah the d18 yeah uh, it's a 59 59 d18e 59 okay yeah. boom love it there you go see this is, we don't even have to correct it next week this is, <laughs> this is perfect uh that sold this week and sold for more money than any guitar has ever yeah. sold for in the history of guitars and that was uh, I was hoping you knew, but I want to say it was six point one, six point zero one million dollars, six point oh one million dollars. Yeah. Fucking, so, ooh, I mean, that's crazy, uh, dude. Well, we were just, you know, I think early in the early in the uh, Gearbuds uh, career, we talked about the uh, David Gilmore's bl- famous Black Strat right. that sold yep. um, in our early days, many many episodes ago, and I think that went for around four million. So, that sounds right. if you think about what an iconic guitar, I mean, it really. It really gives props to Kurt Cobain, man. Because if you think about that black Strat that Gilmore played, I mean, he played that everywhere. He played that all the time. Uh, but this, I, I don't ever recall seeing that acoustic more than the, you know, unplugged, uh, MTV unplugged performance. Yeah, but yeah, that, oh, exactly. that performance is so ridiculously iconic. Right. I agree. Absolutely. Yes. For sure. I mean, I, I, we could, I, we, it, it, maybe it's a worthwhile conversation. What, what was your favorite MTV unplugged back in the day? Mine? Ooh. Uh, how about we go how about we let the guests think about it for a second okay. so Noah, you can you can wait dave you go first right, cool. i really like the stone temple pilots one but i'm a huge stone temple pilots fan um but there was a great one yeah they they basically did core in its entirety and like you can just tell they're super young and they're like super hungry because they probably just got signed and they're like probably getting flown everywhere and mtv's like come on out and do this and you can just tell the performances are just it's absolutely perfect so that's definitely one of mine to uh to go watch what about Noah, you what do you got or yeah no what do you got uh, I I know we were just talking about it, but the um, the Nirvana one is up there for me. Uh, oh yeah. But I also oh, I mean it has to be. This is this is also just basic as hell. But the um, the Eric Clapton unplugged. Dude, uh, I was almost gonna say that first time he played uh, Tears in Heaven. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, like I, that's that might be one of my favorite videos of all time. I think you know, in thinking about it, as we're as we're sitting here talking about it, I'm pretty sure that that. Eric Clapton MTV Unplugged is by far the most I've ever listened to Eric Clapton in my life. In other words, like I, th- I've listened to that particular record of his more than any other Eric Clapton I've ever listened to. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I it's, it's the, exactly. it's the video that, that relaunched the acoustic guitar for American music. That's wow. Fair. That's a bold statement there, I, sir, but I'm, I'm not going to argue it's it. Martin's statement. That, Martin, yeah. Martin said that their sales were down like 30% in the years leading up to that. And then all of a sudden Eric Clapton went on MTV Unplugged and they sold more, no uh, OM style guitars the next day than they had in ten years. Well, was it an OM eighteen he played on that? Sorry, was it an OM eighteen he was playing? I can't. Yeah, I, I think it was. It was either an OM eighteen or an OM twenty eight. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Getting places. I believe love it, that. Man. I love that. Dropping knowledge already right off the bat. Dang. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got we've got uh, STP and Clapton. I think my joke vote would be for the uh, never aired Metallica MTV Unplugged. They never aired it. Uh, 
No, supposedly the story is that it was so bad that Metallica was like, "Fuck no!" Oh, not I am making a note of that. That is going. Oh, on my I'm watch sure it's list. on YouTube, man. It's gotta be on. It's gotta be on somewhere. Is I, it out? I can't. I I can't remember if it's ever come out in entirety. There are certainly, there's certain. It, it has been proven that it exists. I can't remember exactly to what extent. Wow. We'll have to throw that in the symphony next week. And I know that whatever it is, I have also sought it out uh, at some point. But I just you know smoke too much weed to remember for sure. Deep cut, but. I was gonna say deep, but cut. I will say my my favorite. Oh, go sorry, Dave. Go no, ahead. No, no, no. I, I didn't know you were done. Yeah, I thought I thought your favorite was the uh, unreleased Metallica one. No, no, my favorite uh, for sure, probably even even more than the Nirvana one. Uh, I would say is Alice in Chains Unplugged. Yes, that one. Uh, as a kid, I don't know. I just because I would not only was I a big Alice in Chains fan to begin with. Uh, that that performance, I feel like that one. There, are, I think, and it's probably true for all of the ones that we've we've talked about in some ways. But there was something about that performance where I feel like it wasn't just quote unquote stripped down versions of songs. I I feel like those those takes those interpretations of those songs mm-hmm. often actually can stand with or surpass for different reasons yeah. reasons the original songs. Um, and there's something about I, and like obviously I'm a guitar player or whatever, but there's something about the drum performance on that song that I, or mm. on that record that I just like to this day think about whenever I think about the sound of good drums. Which uh, which record are we talking about again? Uh, Alice in Chains. Oh yep, the, the unplugged one, right? Yeah, unplugged. Yeah, yeah. Um, so dude, yeah. yeah I mean, I mean, I've got a that weird. I haven't thought about that in a while. I got to go back and listen to that shit. It is funny. I was just thinking like how they had, I mean, during that era when that was popular, you had Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots. Like you had all those big kind of alternative grunge bands um, come out and do that. And it's, it made me think like nowadays, what, who would they have, you know, if they, if they, you know, fired that back up, it'd be, That's a good it'd, question. it'd be hard to place, you know, who, um, you know, did this, does the Smashing Pumpkins ever do one? I don't know. I've seen a lot of acoustic performances, but I don't know if they like were on that actual like MTV stage. Yeah, I'm huh. not sure. Either. That seems that seems like a that seems weird to me. Yeah, yeah whatever. Uh, how do we? Oh yeah, Kurt Cobain. Yeah, he, uh, his guitar sold for a ridiculous amount of money. Six million dollars. Six point something <laughs> mils. But also, did you guys notice that also they sold his Boss DS one? No, I didn't know. Wow. Really? I yeah. Didn't see that. S- same auction. His like, you know, I'm. Sh- and here's the thing, though. He probably had a lot of them, right? I mean, it yeah. was a DS1. They break whatever. True. But it was his, and and this is verifiable. His DS1 at the same auction sold for six thousand dollars. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. Wow, man. It probably take that, Quan Centaur. <laughs> I was gonna say it's percolator levels right the harmonic percolator levels of shit yeah exactly Dude. it's i but it's the same thing it's it, it belonged to kurt so for some reason for a lot for some person that just means they need to spend that money but I, we should say uh the the guy who bought yeah. uh Mar- the martin was the it's the owner of road microphones right yeah yeah i forget his name uh i forget his name right now but yeah, um, i don't know it either i read the article and he said he was going to to take the guitar and definitely take it around to museums and take it around to different cities um, obviously, once we can do that again, um, and he's going to make sure that people can actually come up to it and see it and all that stuff. So it's cool that he's not just going to like, you know, hunker down with it and hide it in his basement or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's sort of like uh, what's his face? Uh, Jim Mersey bought the uh, Gilmore strap, but he's also kind of got this like sort of museum thing where he lets mm-hmm. people see it and stuff. So I, yeah, that's I'm I'm all about I'm that. All let's about let's keep those important instruments out there in the public. I agree Absolutely. for people to check out. Uh yeah, cool, cool, cool. Uh oh, one last thing that this is I didn't honestly I didn't have anywhere to put this, so I just kind of stuck it in the symphony. Have you guys heard about uh herd immunity fest in Wisconsin? What? No. 
<laughs> so, yep. Uh, so uh, this all went down this week. Um, for all I know, this could be outdated by now, but uh, because that's, that's how fast things change. But earlier this week, it was announced that in, uh, I don't even remember, a small town in Wisconsin, they were going to be hosting, uh, I guess now, the world's first sort of, you can't say post-corona, like mid-corona music festival. And they called it Herd Immunity Fest. I'm not making this up. And uh, a lot of stuff has happened with this already. But basically, oh, and this is a good throwback to last week uh, as we were talking about them uh, because uh, James sort of looked like him. One of the headliners is Static X. Oh. Uh, that's right. Post Wayne Coin. Not Wayne Coin. That's Flame List. Post Wayne Static Static X. Yeah. Uh, some other bands most of it's shit that you've probably heard of from the 90s but you haven't thought of since the 90s uh in that same sort of rap metal world okay uh but so the the reason that i'm bringing it up not only is because that's just fucking insane that they were doing this uh but my this headline just it blew my mind because basically uh, so not only was there this herd immunity fest going on but then that called out that brought uh the lead singer of power man 5000 uh from you know because they were around back then to call out one of the members of the band nonpoint to say it's in, it's bullshit that you guys are doing this and then shamed them into dropping off the bill so <laughs> in the, in the year 2020 they're during the middle of a fucking pan, global pandemic yeah the lead singer of power man 5000 shamed the band nonpoint to drop out of a music festival isn't he like, uh, what the fuck is going on right now it's the wind up in this timeline like, come on this is the yeah. apocalypse Nothing surprises me anymore, ever. So when I hear things like this, I'm like, all right. But isn't he, a uh, side note, isn't he Rob Zombie's brother or something? I think they're cousins. Or cousins. Okay, they're related. It's like Spider One or some shit is his name. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, his name's Spider. I remember that. I don't remember his uh, It's so hard to keep up with all the old, the old new metalers these days. Yeah, that was back <laughs> in like 2000. I think we, we used to rock to that shit. But that's funny, man. So, you know, honestly, if you're if you're a listener and you were considering going to Herd Immunity Fest, just just don't do just, it. Especially now that Nonpoint isn't playing. I mean, why are you even going to go, right? <laughs> yeah, if Nonpoint's not there, I'm not going. Where is it at? And in Wisconsin? It's I don't know. It's not going to be like in Milwaukee it. or something. It's going to be probably deep No, in the it was wood. a small town and yeah. You know, they talked about social distancing, but also, I mean, it's literally called Herd Immunity Fest, and they also said that they won't be requiring masks. So oh, just wow. like, They're don't just go to this fuck fucking it. thing. Yeah, yeah. Please don't, don't go. please don't go from other parts of the country to go to this. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh. Could you imagine? Like get on a plane no. right afterwards. All right. Well, that's uh, a symphony. That's uh, and and speaking of going places, we're gonna go to my favorite place every week, and that place. This is Dave's Docs. Hey, you said you were going to put a slap delay on it this week. Can you add that in post? Oh, sure. I didn't. I, I forgot that we had said that, but I will. I will absolutely add Dave's Docs. Nice. With a bunch of delay on it. Hell yeah, man. Um. So you know what's funny? We've we've talked about this, and this is kind of um, this is kind of a weird one because I could have picked one, but it's actually a series, and I've talked to you about it, but then I thought about it, and I haven't watched it in about a year, and um, I was like, you know, this would be good for Dave's Docs, and what I want to talk about today is the Mike Judge series, Tales from the Tour Bus. And it's his. I ooh. love that series. Did you ever watch it, man? It and I, Henry. I, I don't remember if you ever watched it, but I remember telling you specifically about it because I was really into you, it when we first. You started have told me about it. I've me, I've meant to watch it. I've I think it's it's on HBO, right? Uh, it was Showtime, I believe, or Showtime, yeah. whatever it was. I went and what are into the app, and I you know saved it for later, yep. and just have not. Yeah, I have not. And come it's back it's, to it's it. actually kind of hard to find them. Like they have them on Amazon. You can rent them for like two bucks or something or whatever. Um, but basically, 
Uh, long story short, if you guys don't know, or if the listeners don't know, it's basically an animated series by, you know, Mike Judge from, you know, obviously Beavis and Butthead, King of the Hill. And um, you've got, you know, it's so the first, the whole first season, there's like eight episodes and it's like the outlaw country guys. So you got like um, George Jones, you know, Johnny Paycheck, Waylon Jennings, Blaze Foley, like kind of these, um, these mid seventies guys who were basically cowboys. I mean, they all just like nonstop drink whiskey. They all carried guns. They just did whatever they wanted. They were above the law and they also had like a lot of money. So they would just go fuck shit up. Um, and they're like these little, you know, half hour long episodes, man. And it's, it's fantastic. And if you make it to the second season, it's all of like the funk, um, all that seventies funk stuff, George Clinton, Bootsy Collins. And even like they go into James Brown. I think they have like a two part James Brown episode. So I was kind of like, should I just watch one and then like talk about the one episode or should I just talk about the whole series? And I think I just want to, I want to bring attention to the series. Cause I don't know for whatever reason after season two, they haven't made any more. And I think it was like 2018 or something when, uh, when they finished it. So I would, I mean, I, I don't know, Mike judge, if you're out there listening, man, like fire it up, man, let's get a season three going. I, I to me, it's one of the greatest shows ever made. Cause it's, it's live story documentary, but everything's drawn as a cartoon. So it kind of looks like you're watching like a fucked up version of King of the Hill or something like that. I would it's love great. to see more episodes of that. The, I, I watched a lot of them when I was doing research for, um, I was doing a musical, uh, you know, Million Dollar Quartet. You guys heard of that? I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis, and um, uh, Carl Perkins all getting together one night in Sun Studios. Yeah, so I was doing wow. a bunch of research, and that came up, and I watched the Jerry Lee Lewis episode, and it was awesome. It's, that guy, it's cr- he was an animal. He was <laughs> an absolute animal. He still is. Yeah. That- yeah, he's he's outlived all those guys. Man. Yep, it's crazy. Is he he's still alive today? Yeah, he's still alive. A friend of mine did wow. a tour of his house uh, a couple of years ago, who was playing Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis in the musical on the tour, and mm-hmm. apparently the wall in his bathroom has a bunch of holes in it from where he practices knife throwing before breakfast every morning. <laughs> There's this. Uh, well, Henry, if you don't know Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, his nickname was the Killer. Which oh, is, dude! Hey, now, now I've got to just say real quick here. I know it's not the Riff Library yet, but I did, you, I did in an episode of the Riff Library previously talk about Jerry Lee Lewis's biography. That's right, so and, like, and we talked about on. how he married a thirteen-year-old and all that fun stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, all that fun super stuff. creepy. And and she was like his sec, his second cousin or something. First it was cousin, very str- first cousin. Yeah, just really yep. weird stuff, man. Um, anyways, I wish there was more of these sh- episodes, but I think like I could probably every six months watch you know both seasons back to back. It's that fantastic. So, uh, for anybody out there I who hasn't it. seen Tales from the Tour Bus, uh, try to find it, try to buy it. It's worth it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I've got to finally watch it. I know uh, you've told me so many times now that I would love it. I've got to do it. But yeah. you know what? I'm going to ask. Uh, what's your, what's your rating? But I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to ask for a specific rating scale. Okay. How, how many, how many rails of cocaine do you get? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, dude, it's uh, how about enough that'll kill you? How about that many? Man? <laughs> It's 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 honestly it's a it's a six out of six shooter man it's it's fantastic dude I, that's three weeks in a row of yeah. perfect scores you know what's funny I was I'm not gonna bring it up because I'm gonna watch it but I, I had a really shitty one like queued up not shitty it might be good I just you know I wasn't that interested um, and then I thought about this and I was like I'm just gonna watch that and talk about it so maybe next week maybe I'll have a bummer for you guys but yeah it's been it's been good docs all 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 month I would say since dude. last month so. hell nice. yeah. yeah love it. Can um, I uh, before actually, before we jump to the Riff Library though? Can I can we can we stay on in the loosest term uh, form of the word documentaries for a second here and sure. talk about a really crazy experience I had this week? Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. I was on the Today Show this week. <laughs> what? Yeah. 
so uh, that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, not probably. You know, the, the most interesting thing about it for me, and we can get into what it was about, was how many people from the, my, my past and my life outed themselves to me as regular Today Show viewers by texting or calling or whatever when that shit was on. Because I told basically nobody that it was going to be on. Yeah. Uh, so it was really funny for me for like just like random people that I worked with 10 years ago to text me and tell me that they're watching this. But now I know that they watch the Today Show every day. Because I, I mean, look, did you know that one of George Bush's daughters is a host of that show? Because I didn't. No, I nope. dude, I haven't watched that in, I mean, a long time. But I'm guessing maybe because of the quarantine, people are like watching more television during the day or in the morning. What time was it on? Like, 10? yeah, uh, ten o'clock. Yeah, the ten so, o'clock hour, which other people tell me is also that's like the that's the good hour. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I don't. I don't okay. Know. Well, but it wanna, exists on the internet. Can you give our guest a little bit of context to why you were on it, or do you Fine. not want to bring it up? <laughs> it's really embarrassing. Uh, but basically, the the story goes that about a month and a half ago, I got an email from producers of the Today Show saying, "Hey, uh, Henry, we found your dating profile. Would you be interested in in being on the Today Show to do a dating show?" <laughs> and I was like, "This is this is insane." Uh, sure. And then I forgot about it. And then like. Two weeks ago, they emailed me on a Friday saying, hey, cool, can you shoot on Tuesday? Mind you, shoot being uh, at home uh, yeah. because people don't go places right now. So it was uh, it was a Zoom call. So essentially, I played the dating game uh, with, uh, with a gal. Uh, spoiler alert, I did not win. So hey, man. <laughs> it was uh, a bit embarrassing. I think the most embarrassing part about it is not other than the fact that I lost on a dating show on national television is that uh, this girl is my neighbor. She lives she lives down the street from me <laughs> and and the gentleman that she selected uh, lives in Manhattan. So oh. uh, that's Manhattan, New York, not not even the shitty uh, towns in Southern, yeah, Illinois, not Southern like Illinois, Manhattan, Manhattan. In, in New York City. So um, uh, that's yeah, that was cool. Didn't he like flex on you? He said he like owned an island in Jamaica or something like that. He, that didn't there. Were, there were a number of flexes that happened. Uh, and, you know, God bless them. They they belong together. They're fine. I have no <laughs> hard feelings whatsoever. Uh, I, because I'm a competitive person, I was a little bummed out just to have lost a thing. But it wasn't a matter of like being sad that yeah. this was my soulmate that I, I missed out on or something. Hey man, you know uh, what? Yeah. It's fine. Manhattan guys, we we got it going on. It's it's not a big deal. It's, it's it just is it's, what it is. You know. That's right. You could where you could work out at his boxing gym that he wouldn't stop talking about. It's, all, it's great, uh, but but let me. I'll just I'll just say one more one more really humiliating aspect of it. So uh, it was again. I mentioned that it was a Zoom call, and as as we all know from having done these, they are prone to glitching and dropping out, especially if you don't necessarily have the greatest internet cl- connection, or there are a lot of people on the call. So it was myself, the three other gentlemen, the. Uh, the gal who was the uh, you know bachelorette I guess is what you'd call it I don't know and then the host and then like 10 to 15 Today Show producers and so we were at the end of the show I'd made it past the first round it's the, at the end she's got to make her selection uh, she chooses the other guy after of course you know sort of like euphemistically buttering me up and being all nice and everything sure. so she, do, she she picks the other guy uh, it's fine you know we are, we're doing our wrapping up it's probably like five minutes later and then uh, after uh, like a, a brief silence one of the producers who hadn't spoken the whole call pipes up and is like uh, oh, hey everybody um, just uh, yeah uh, so uh, we didn't really get that uh, the last uh, uh, the last section there where she made her selection. So we're gonna need you guys all to take that whole part again. <laughs> no, oh, that's awful. Oh, dude, and, I would have just hung and, up, man. <laughs> and my my reply, and you know how there are those moments in life where 
where you, you know you say oh i wish i would have said this like you, you come up with the perfect sort of retort later on and you're like damn it i wish i would have said this i had kind of the opposite moment uh because i I said exactly the perfect thing that I wish that I could have said because right after the producer said that, I say, oh, good. I was really hoping to get to relive that moment again so soon. And just like everybody <laughs> fucking started laughing. So if you watch it and, and you know, I'll send you the link, Dave. Uh, it's yeah. On the, oh, it, it's NBC going up website. this week on the Facebook. You can see sure. you can see on my face that I and I and I am no Noah. I am no actor. So you have to like you yeah. see on my face the, the end take. I am just like not having it. Yeah. I'm super <laughs> clearly. <laughs> ready to be off this fucking zoom call not losing again i am pulling uh, this up the Paul second the we're off of this and <laughs> yeah, i'm watching it i'm so sorry but i have to yeah no it's it's i you know i brought it up i get it i i i, I was really afraid you know you never know how things are going to be edited and i will say it was like a 40 minute thing that they edit down to like whatever the segment is it's like 12 or 15 minutes sure uh, so they're, they cut a lot of stuff. You never know how it's going to go. I think I came out okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, I don't look like a total jerk other than just like being the sort of person that would be on a Today Show dating show. Uh, <laughs> So that was my that was my contribution to Dave's Docs this week, and also nice, like dude. the contribution to like one of the weirdest weeks of my life, just like the random shit that's happening because of it. I remember you texted me and you were like, "Dude, they want me to do this like dating show thing," and I was like, "Just do it. It'll be an experience. It'll be something to talk about." You know. So I'm glad you did it. Yeah. Yeah. I ultimately, I guess I'm glad I am too. Uh, no harm, no foul yet. I haven't been canceled. Knock on wood. But you know, there's still time. <laughs> You're out there in the public eye now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, that was. Uh, that was me talking about Love myself. It, Let's talk about some other stuff. And I'm going to the Riff Library. library. Bro, yeah. yeah, dude. Uh, so this week's entry uh, is David Bowie's Hunky Dory. Ooh. Uh, one of my all-time favorite records for sure. So uh, before we get into that specifically, I want to say that uh, it's been cool because, you know, obviously this segment is about me sort of just like, for the most part, usually diving into my record collection, talking about one of my favorite albums that I, you know, maybe reconnecting with or whatever. And part of the, the reason I even have this record out right now is because i just did, went through a big old record reorg and uh it's it's allowed me to sort of like see things and rediscover things in my collection and i know that you dave you you've you've had a little record news yourself right now oh right? yeah so basically right at the beginning of quarantine my record player decided to go poop and uh oh. it stopped working and it was kind of <laughs> one of those things where i you know i was trying to decide if i wanted to i mean obviously i'm gonna buy another record player i've got like I don't know, 200 records or something, nothing crazy, but I've got a lot of great records and I love listening to them. And I was like, man, I don't know what to do. So I started doing research, you know, ultimately I just wanted to buy the same turntable I had, which was really just like a Gemini, like DJ turntable, but it worked great. I had it for like six years. I bought it used. So I went on eBay and like, couldn't find any, there was like one for way more than I wanted to spend. So I started looking around and then, you know, like Henry, we were talking a little bit, like when you start researching something on the internet, just, you, I mean, you might as well just like cash it in. I mean, it's, you know, because reviews are always all over the place. Um, I'm not super technical when it comes to turntables. I just want something to play records on. And, uh, you know, you got people like that build their own and you got custom made ones. And I asked you what you have. And I was looking into that company, which was uh, Orbit Audio, I believe. Are they called? U-Turn uh, is the company. Orbit is the turntable. Orbit is the name of the turntable. Yeah. So I, I emailed them and, you know, it said on their website they weren't even shipping stuff until like mid-July because of everything that's going on. So I was like, well, I need something faster than that, you know. So, um, yeah, I ended up purchasing a, a TEAC. I think, I don't, I don't know how that's how you pronounce it. It's a T-E-A-C. I, I think that's how you say it. TEAC, TEAC. Um, it's the TN, the TN300 model, which I did a little research. They had some lower-end models that were, like, 
you know, in the like $200 range. Um, this specific model is in like the $400 range, and I actually found a brand new one on eBay out of a store. This guy was selling it in the box um, for like 180 bucks shipped. So I was like, I had Do to jump it. on it. I mean, that was kind of my research. I was like, well, the price point, if you find something that's generally like in this price range, but, you know, somebody has got one, maybe it's marked down, it's like a discounted model, or maybe it's, you know, a blowout thing and they're old models or something. So I assembled it last night and I uh, got to play a few records and it works great. The problem is I'm realizing now that I'm probably going to need a new receiver just because it doesn't get quite as loud as I want it to. doesn't really have the EQ functions that I want it to have. So now that's the new uh, rabbit hole I get to go down next is a receiver rabbit hole. And then probably don't, I thought you don't you have a you have a preamp, right? So there was a built in preamp with the um, with the turntable. Um, but I really like my receiver because I do listen to the radio a ton. Um, like it's pretty much on all day while I'm working. So I kind of like to have, you know, the, the functionality of radio. I could hook it up to, I actually read, I could hook it up to a focus, right? And just run it through my monitors, you know, like studio style, but kind of want to have That's that do, separate, separate component over there. And it works great. I mean, it sounds great at like low to medium to like medium high volume, but if you crank it up, it just doesn't sound as crisp and, and as, you know, as round as I want it to sound. So probably look into a new monitor next, but. That's going to be down the road. So, damn, dude. Well, sounds like uh, sounds like that'll be a fun future update on the old the old turntable setup there. And you reminded me, I don't think I have any Bowie records. So, you know, I wanted to get into that and little sell oh, me on sell me it, on dude. this sell me on this Bowie record. What was uh, what was so oh, great about man? Well, all right. Let me let me start off by saying, I, like like most other people, I'm a huge David Bowie fan. Mm-hmm. I love a lot of his mm-hmm. music, and and I will. Uh, it changes. I will say, like most consistently throughout my life, "Hunky Dory" has been my favorite David Bowie record, which is why I decided to talk about it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's re- it's a re- it came at a really interesting part in his career, a point in his career, and I kind of feel like I don't know if this is necessarily a good comparison, but to me, it sort of feels almost like his Rubber Soul because it kind of cool. is this transition. The Beatles were obviously already superstars when they made that record, but it's the Rubber Soul is kind of their transition in between the sort of just like pop group into like a sort yep. of I don't know more experimental, artistic, forward thinking type band. Absolutely. And I kind of feel the same way with this record in that it, not necessarily for that specific reason, but it is kind of a transitional inflection point for for Bowie. It was the end of '71. He had just it's his fourth full length record. He had just come back from touring the states. Uh, and was really influenced by that, which is obvious when you know that. Uh, I'm sorry, I've got to sneeze, so I'm going to do that for a second here. Oh no, it's sitting there, but like it won't come uh, out. Ah, that's the worst. Stare at the, try to stare at the sun. That always helps. Oh yeah. All right. Anyways, I'll <laughs> maybe I'll leave that in because it was really stupid. Um, Anticlimactic. And I know, seriously, like the worst uh anyway, he had just toured the states uh was really influenced by a lot of people that he met there and the music going on i mean there's a song a song uh, there's literally a song called song for dylan uh who's bob dylan clearly uh there's andy warhol and then and then my what i think is is one of the most quintessential rock and roll songs of all time queen bitch mm-hmm. is specifically uh uh, in reference to the Velvet Underground and Lou Reed, so mm-hmm. he had done this. The States tour was really influenced by a lot of people and stuff that he met there, and then came back and wrote these like, because that third record was at the Man Who Sold the World. It's kind of like hard rocking, and this one, all the songs are, or not all, most of the songs are much more piano driven. Mm-hmm. So he'd kind of like, this is this is the this is the this is the point where we get to uh, art pop uh, experimenter 
David Bowie, kind of willing to do anything. And one of the really interesting things I think about the piano part is that, you know, obviously he composed all these songs on piano himself and then brought it to these other players. Rick Wakeman, the Rick Wakeman, plays piano on this record. Hmm. So it's like these sort of like almost simplistic David Bowie piano parts and then given to this total virtuoso pianist and synthesist who, you know, played with Yes and Bowie and I mean, tons of people. Yeah. to take these and then now there's like the song changes which starts the record is just this like quintessential piano part that it's interesting to me to see this like simple idea taken by a really prominent musician and then cr- turned into what it later became yeah. which is this whole record and i think that that is something that bowie did a lot he he was one of those writers and, and performers that wasn't afraid he didn't let his own ego as a performer get in the way of creating incredible compositions and and, and recordings for us all to listen to yeah um Nice. I mean, Mick Ronson plays guitar on it. He obviously super ripping. Basically, the band that came in and recorded this at Trident Studios is the band that went on to become the Spiders from Mars for the next like what three or four records. Right. So okay. it's like it's it's the the record right before Spiders from Mars. There's some of the things that sort of happen, almost sort of like how you know Rubber Soul led into Sgt. Pepper's. Uh, and also, I should add, Ken Scott is the producer. He had engineered the previous couple records, but Ken Scott is also famous for producing or for engineering the Beatles. So. Hmm. A lot of uh, a lot of that, and and in some of the things I read, it seems like because he had done all things must pass with George Harrison, he kind of took that sort of acoustic vibe, and that's how they approached the production to Hunky Dory. So I'd say if you like all things must pass and you aren't already familiar with Hunky Dory, mm. could be could be an awesome record for you to check out. Yeah, man, he was never afraid of like like showing that he was influenced. You know? Oh, absolutely not. And yeah, he took it and always filtered it through himself mm-hmm. and that's that's the music that we all love but i want to ask you guys so hunky dory i'd say on most days is my favorite favorite bowie record what is uh no what's your favorite my favorite bowie record uh yeah. well hunky dory is brilliant it is like the crossroads of his career so that's like you know pretty fun but i gotta i'm again basic but space oddity is sort of you know incredible Ooh, debut which you know yeah but it's not really you know, it's one of my favorite songs just because it's so incredibly um, formative for so many people's tastes. And there was oh, yeah. weird sidetrack. There was a video that a bunch of uh, astronauts from NASA up in the space station actually did a music video of Space Oddity floating in zero mm-hmm. gravity. That was pretty cool. That is super cool. Uh, but I really like Aladdin Sane. Okay. That's right on. That's that, that was another Ken Scott Bowie yep. record. I, I really, really dig that. Um, but hunky hunky dory is really great because for the most part i um i really like looking at who does the arrangements for the songs like the production is always great but mick ronson's arrangements yep are are just ridiculous like that you were talking about the um transitioning from david bowie's sort of simplistic piano into um uh sorry what's his name uh the other rick wakeman thank you uh and that's that's all mick ronson's mind and i just i love that the the people that actually sort of figure out how to present it in the most uh, pleasing way. Hell yeah, man. Dave, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I just watched that doc about him um, recently, right. a few weeks ago, which was fantastic. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have a favorite album because I, I love all the singles he has. You know, it's, so mine lies somewhere between the greatest hits, but if I had to pick one, I like Heroes a lot. I mean, I like how kind of clean it is and how, I mean, that song is fucking awesome and i <laughs> yeah. do the latter know, era brian eno stuff yeah and i'm pretty sure yeah it's kind of you know and it's kind of got it's like 
you know, it's it's got the softer side to it, which I really like. Um, but and I think I think during his life too, he was going through a lot of shit. He was trying to get clean. I think when he recorded that record and yep, the Berlin trilogy. It just so it just sounds really really inspired. Um, so yeah, I would probably say that one. But again, I don't own any, so I'm might have to log mm. on to old Reverb LP after we get off this call and uh, pick up a few. So uh, Dave, did you see the uh, Hollywood Vampires cover of Heroes? No, how is it? Oh my God. Wait, hold on. What? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Johnny Depp and Alice Cooper uh, covered Heroes. Uh, they did it live, and it was uh, interesting. It, was it? Was it great? <laughs> it was. It was. It was really good. But you know, at the uh, sort of towards like the three quarters of the way through the song, that sort of up up the octave, like really incredible mm-hmm. sort of like harmony thing they do. I yeah. guess Johnny Depp doesn't have the vocal range to do it because they didn't. What? Johnny uh, doesn't have. I, that's that's shocking. Or maybe it was just that one. I I don't know, but it was really it was really good. I I really liked it. Just personally, I that's I cool, it. man. I will definitely uh, I will definitely check that out. Anything Johnny Depp related, you know, especially Hollywood vampires. I'm I'm following. Oh, let's same. Let's do it. Let's get it. Damn, we're just like we're just really getting into it. Today. I'm loving the <laughs> tangents uh, today on today's awesome. episode, man. This is great. Yeah. All right. Well, let's keep it moving. I'm gonna go jump into future gear. A uh, couple things to quickly touch on really fast. A uh, couple uh, interesting things with Apple uh, and and sort of just recording in general. So this week, uh, the first thing I want to mention is that it was update or the Focusrite Scarlet. What is it? I don't remember the the, the, the interfaces that everyone the Scarlet, has. Yeah, uh, that's their like the two pre and the, the two i two. There's and yeah, the exactly. one I'm using Those right two now. Were updated. Yeah. yeah, me too. <laughs> and, and Dave as well. Uh, those were updated to now work with uh, the iPad Pro. Oh wow! Which wow. is super cool because really basically cool. now you just take one cable and since it's class compliant, you connect it directly from your interface to your iPad and you have a mobile recording rig. Is it a software and update? Do you know or what is it like? Did they say? I, what well, it, it would be a firmware update right. for the uh, for the actual, for the actual hardware right. itself. And I know that it's it's the third generation. I couldn't tell you specifically what those features are in the third generation but from what i read it's the ipad pro now works a third generation scarlet interfaces which is super cool and and represents one of the sort of major shifts that's happening in the music world right now but there's another even much bigger one that i haven't seen that many people talk about yet and that is that apple during uh wwdc this week announced that they are moving forward and this is this is not news but they have been developing their own chipsets their own microprocessors and in the future, we'll be ditching Intel. So, like, I don't know how old some of our listeners might be, but this has happened with Apple in the past. And back in the day, they were built on what was called the PowerPC architecture, and then that moved into x86 Intel architecture, which basically is just the the, pro, the, the processor, the CPU that's at the core of your system. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is both. I could you can you can argue good and bad. Good because now anything. So let me say any iPad, any iPhone, that stuff's already built on Apple's own chips, these ARM chips. Yeah. So now any application that has been developed for iPhone or iPad now will work with any computer too. Wow. Which is frankly game changing, and vice versa, that's right? Huge. So yeah. if if you have a, a a MacBook Pro that's that has an Apple chip on the inside, there's software developed for that. It'll work on your phone or or iPad. So it's that's kind of changing the game. However, now that's also going to mean in the future there are going to be all sorts of incompatibilities. Cuz and and this happened before with PowerPC when Apple went from PowerPC to Intel. It's just a completely different sort of basic uh, base language to develop this stuff. So 
in the future, within the next couple of years, a lot of stuff, a lot of hardware, a lot of software is going to start becoming incompatible with Apple machines. And that's mm. like kind of a big deal. Yeah, that's huge. That's so uh, the, what happened in the past when the power PC thing happened, there were these, I can't remember what they were called off the top of my head. There were a couple of pieces of software that were essentially container softwares that you could trick your computer into thinking it was still running on the old system. And, and I'm sure that <laughs> will exist for a while as well. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, that's going to be, that's going to represent a pretty large change for a lot of music makers and recorders and, and engineers and musicians in the world. Wow. So uh, big stuff, big stuff happened in Apple. Uh, not so big stuff, but I did want to talk about this really quick. Is something called the click knob, uh, or maybe it's that click knob? I don't know. Oh yeah, but I like a company. This. You sent me this. Thing. Oh, no, I think the company's maybe called click knob, but then they make something called the click classic. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. It's hard to remember. But basically, what it is is you know how a lot of a lot of players uh, as we get used to playing with tube amps and as we get older we tend to start using the, that volume knob on our guitars i know like <laughs> yep kind of crazy Blasphemy. right but so and 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 as as players we all know that there are usually there's almost usually like a little sweet spot it kind of depends on your rig and the guitar and what pedal you're using whatever but usually there's that one spot where you kind of back it off just a little bit and then it gets to that like nice clean sort of pulled back sound that we all look for uh but it can be hard to find that so uh the company that click knob introduced that click classic god i can't even say it uh (laughs) where you can essentially set passively set a favorite setting on your knob so it kind of i i don't know exactly how it works but there's you know those little knuckle busters on old gibsons that like will uh it kind of looks like (laughs) that like the those like real sharp like little piece of metal that everybody takes off which actually you know now i think about it i still haven't taken off yeah, my do you have those on your gibsons on only on the 335 that's the only one that had yeah. them uh from that era and god am i, I a weirdo it, I, I, I actually bought some and put them on my guitar <laughs> you are you are absolutely a weirdo and we will we will dig into we that, get into uh, that psychological sure. level uh, but so it, it's kind of the same concept. It sort of looks like that, but I think the way it works is it's sort of almost like a little push pull knob. Like the, the pot stays the same, but the knob changes. That's what I like. And about you like, it, yeah. I think you pull it out and that, and, it, and it's a, and it's a standard knob. But if you push it in, then it, once you get to that sweet spot that you select, it it'll sort of like de- detent and click into place. That's awesome. Um, actually. Yeah. I think it's kind of a cool idea. And you can set it up to your parameters. It's not like it only goes to that. Like if you, let's say your tone changes, then I'm sure it's pretty easy to kind of reset it, you know, or whatever. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's fantastic. I mean, I love the fact that you don't have to change out the pot. I mean, that's that's awesome. Yeah, especially if you're talking about any vintage or valuable old guitar where, you 100%. know, changing the pot would totally affect the value of the instrument. Mm-hmm. Now you just don't ever have to worry about anything like that. Just put this click clack i don't even know that click knob i whatever it is we'll put links and stuff up i can't i don't even know what it's called but it seems cool and i kind of want one to at least try out on one of my guitars absolutely i want to try one for a bass that'd be great boom future gear keeping it moving let's keep it moving let's get into let's get in let's get into let's get into a little bit here and and we're going to do that via segment that we like to call a couple two tree randos where i just uh (laughs) i'm just going to throw a couple two tree rando questions at you here uh so first question if you could swap places with any band member of any band, past or present, regardless of your or their skill level, who would it be and why? Oh, shit. That's a really good <laughs> one. Um, okay. Uh, all right. Swap places with anybody's with any band member? Yes. Um, anybody. 
I'm blanking on his name, but just because I want to be a fly on the wall in the studio during these sessions, just anybody in Muddy Waters band when he was recording um, at uh, it like uh, what what was the studio in Chicago? Um, chess. Oh, chess. Chess. Yeah. Oh, uh, chess records. Just yeah. anybody in Muddy Waters band. Um, I would have loved to be in the room when they were sort of discovering that sound. Fuck yeah, dude! What is it? What is it about that? particular era or session that that you want to be part of uh i guess it's just sort of it, innovation might have been part of it but it's more just the and this is this is going to sound so droll but the um just how vibey that must have been and how incredible or yeah, or maybe yeah. it's just been hyped up in musicians minds so much and it was just a casual tuesday but oh, uh, cool! Like when they said, "Hey, why don't you turn that up a little bit and see how it sounds?" And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. we have the you know edge of breakup sound that we all want. Uh, mm-hmm. But there was there was something so incredible about listening to uh, those records, Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, that that just it just gives you this electricity that flows through your body when you crank that shit up and listen to it the way it was intended to be. And mm-hmm. I just want to be in the room with those guys, even though I don't think a Jewish white kid from New York was going to be incredibly um, welcome in um in in chess studios. I don't know, man. The Stones made it over, so yeah. Yeah, but the Stones the Stones were the Stones. Like I, I right. don't think, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think don't sell yourself short, man. I don't think my nerdy ass walking up and being like hi is gonna. Hi guys. <laughs> Uh, oh my god, that's such a good one. Uh, that's a good I, one, man. I have to that, say, this that's yeah, it's way outside of the anything first anybody one, else yeah, has mentioned we've, yet. We've had people say like, you know, band members, and one one guest said Bach, which I thought was a great answer. But, uh, <laughs> oh, that's a but great I one. love, yeah, that's a great one. But I love how you picked an actual moment in time and uh, captured that. So that's that's fantastic, man. Love that. All right, next one, and this one actually, I've got to be honest, uh, maybe it's a little bit of a running theme here, but this one was presented to me. I was literally asked this by a, a, a woman on a, a dating site that I had matched with. And like the first <laughs> thing she said to me was like, essentially, yo, Henry, if like, say you were, say you were a genie in a bottle and in order to summon you, someone needed to acquire three items, what would those items be? So I asked the same question to you, Noah, if you were a genie in a bottle and, and someone needed to go on three fetch quests and find three things that would then get you to, to, to leave your bottle and grant them wishes, what would those three things be? Oh, what would those? What would the items that I would tell somebody to go and get be? Exactly. Yes. Ooh. Um, okay. Uh, first thing to pop into my head because I'm just obsessed with it is the the Fender Champ that Joe Walsh used to record Funk Forty Nine. Oh Whoa. wow, man! Yeah. Because that tone makes me wet. Um, <laughs> James Gang for life. <laughs> I love James Gang, dude. Um, let's see what else. Um, Mm. Oh, okay. Here's a here's probably a weird one. I would love to have, uh, if you can find it, Jim Bowie, his actual Bowie knife that he designed and oh. invented. Oh, I would. That All would right. be because it's lost to history, but it must be somewhere in some Mexican town's basement. <laughs> um, but that that would be a, another item. Uh, and let me think. God, I'm trying to think of things that are like still like theoretically alive, like uh, or like around, like obviously like the yeah. strings that 
Jimmy Page recorded Led Zeppelin one with are probably gone. Uh, right. But just something. Well, that's why number two should have been a time machine, so that then number three could be oh, for that person. Shit. To go <laughs> right. All Damn those it. Things in a Damn time it. Machine. Uh, <laughs> um, Fuck the Bowie knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think third. I think third would probably have to be uh, those strings, the Led Zeppelin one strings. Oh man, amazing! I love it. Let's do it. Uh, number number answer. three here. Uh, and I think I know the answer to this one already because uh, the fact of you being an actor. But do you do an impression or accent? And will you share that with us? Uh, I do a lot of uh, impressions and accents just because it comes with the territory. But uh, all right, I'll do I'll do one. Do you have, what's your what's your best what's your best impression? Uh, I don't know about best, but I'll do I'll do one that I had to do on a voiceover audition last night that was just cracking me up because it was so absolutely right. ridiculous. Uh, the the character had to be pompous British. Um, let let me um I'm just going to uh, get the voice going so that I can make it sound as completely ridiculous and fucking terrible, so that everybody at home can hear what an enormous cunt I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, we have a winner, man. <laughs> I think that I think that that might be the best we've heard the yet. The best one sure. we've heard. <laughs> Big, big surprise it was a, a trained professional yeah visitor. maybe not a fair advantage but definitely the best one we've heard so. oh, that, that actually brought brought tears to my eyes Con- good good show sir <laughs> all right uh now this question comes from james beasley the third who we already mentioned guest last week and he would like to know what food would you use to describe how your music sounds Wow. Okay, so I either have the op- the opportunity here to be enormously pretentious or realistic. Um, I I say maybe try both. Yeah, up to you. Okay. Um, pretentious. Uh, home baked. Like really good, like flaky, buttery, amazing biscuits. Hmm. Haven't eaten lunch yet. Reality. Like the Pillsbury like in the cardboard can <laughs> biscuits that like they get the job done but if you could have the buttery flaky amazing biscuits you'd probably go for those but like maybe you don't have a blender or like a kitchen aid at home that's that's the uh that's that's Dude, where that's I'm an at. honest answer man i love that <laughs> and i've also and i have to say this is this is true story i made pillsbury biscuits earlier today today like for sure wow. absolutely i made them last them weekend I wanted, man. No I wanted some for breakfast um so well i have to say wow we'll, we'll get into your music but I, I have listened to your music no and it does not sound like canned pillsbury uh uh biscuits so just want to <laughs> throw that out there for you. i appreciate it Thanks, and i'll man. also throw out that i think that is in terms of canned things like you could do a lot worse than the pillsbury biscuit yeah you're right I'll, i'm just gonna say all right yep. I'll, I'll give i'll give that to you it's it's not the worst thing in the world it's still a delicious <laughs> biscuit absolutely uh Last question. Uh, what should we ask our guest next week? Hmm. All right. Next week. I kind of actually, like you the, know what? Uh, next week's going to next week's going to be a duo cast. It'll be in two weeks, yeah. but just OK. Whatever. Well, I, I kind of like the, the describe your music uh, theme. I'm going to stick with that. Um, hmm. Ooh, I'm going to go with a really sort of vague, weird one. If your music was a type of tree. Describe your music through a type of tree. Wow. 
love it. I Done. Like it. Yeah. Cuz they have to they they will have to pull out their phone and they be like, "Fuck, what are knowledge. some types of trees?" <laughs> I just hope that they have an they they're they're quick-witted enough to to take it the like guitar tone wood path. Oh my god, oh, yeah. yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. But bingo, like bro. uh <laughs> exactly like a, or if or like a, a nice burled walnut or something yeah, i'm, like I'm, I'm thinking top, yeah. i'm thinking old growth karina <laughs> oh, wow. that's incredible Fuck all right yeah, man great answer well that's gonna that's gonna show up in a couple two, two true randos next time let's just get into you know man i want to i want to learn more about your background and your music and all that stuff so take us back where'd you where'd you grow up and when did you how did you get into music when did that all happen yeah man uh i grew up in new york city uh born and raised uh i would which which borough manhattan mm-hmm. manhattan okay yep upper west side kid born and raised nice right yep uh my whole family was in um in the theater business my mom was a producer she was a dancer for 20 years and then she became a producer uh, my stepdad is a uh, composer and um, orchestrator and music director. My dad's a choreographer, director, actor. Um, so it was sort of like you know being born in a born in a trunk. Um, yeah. And then uh, so I sort of grew up uh, while not immersed in like rock music and that kind of thing, just sort of being immersed in the arts in general. Uh, yeah, childhood was awesome. Uh, sort of growing up backstage watching my parents work and make art um and then uh let's see teenage years growing up in new york you have two options you either become an enormously well-adjusted and successful human being or you become a you know street rat (laughs) and uh where'd you land oh street rat hardcore street rat (laughs) you know cigarettes at 11 years old start drinking when you're 12 you know all that kind of that doing that sort of new york thing where you expect it's going to be like, oh, this is like the beginning of West Side Story, like hardcore. Like, no, I was living in an Upper West Side apartment. Like, <laughs> I yeah. was not. It was it was just being an idiot. Yeah. Um, so I actually got sent to one of those, uh, you know, the um, those wilderness programs where they send kids to like hike 10 miles a day and live in the woods to, you know, yeah. straighten them out. Yeah, it was sort of like boot camp before they had like boot camp. Yeah, it was TV like it was like summer camp, but they made you like do a lot more stuff. Right? Yeah, exactly. So I was I was sent to one of those in Vermont, uh, where it was like the hike ten miles a day, sleep, wake up, make a fire with your bare hands, set traps, all that kind of stuff. Oh. It's it's one of those things where I look back, and it's what I call secondhand fun. Like a roller coaster <laughs> is firsthand fun, where you're like, oh, this is really fun, and then a year later, you're yeah. like, that was really fun. Yeah. This was in the moment you're like, I want to fucking die. This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I want to, this is awful. And then a year later you go, huh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so immediately following Vermont, I went to a boarding school in Montana that was a um, fully self-sustained and uh, uh, functioning ranch that had uh you know, horses and herd of cattle and a bunch of crops and stuff. And that was sort of like a, a rehab kind of situation for, uh, for all the stuff I'd gotten into. Cause it, there, it was sort of a point of no return for me, uh, where you just kind of hit rock bottom at a weirdly young age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was in Montana and the biggest sort of setback for being there was that there was no access to technology of any kind. Uh, no, no internet, no, you couldn't listen to music, that kind of thing. 
uh, so for me, who like grew up having music be such a big part of who I was, right? I basically realized I'm going to have to learn how to play an instrument. Otherwise, there's not going to be any music in my life for the next 18 months. Mm-hmm. So I begged my mom. I was like, hey, you know, my I this is insane. There's a lot of people that play instruments, but, you know, I don't. So when you come out to visit in a month, can we please, for when we get to go off campus, can we please go find a thing, just something. Uh, and she was like, okay. So she shows up uh, in Montana and she we get in the car. We've got three hours off campus. We drive one hour to Libby, Montana, which is this tiny town that had a huge scandal in the 70s for being riddled with asbestos and a ton of people died. <laughs> um, but there was a pawn shop there. So we went in and we found this guitar that I thought was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. You know, a red sunburst Martin Dreadnought style with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, the tuners were like the Grover ripoffs that had the like silicone covering on them. It was, it was the worst, yeah. coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but you loved it. So, I mean, that's, oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was by a company called Tanara. It was made in Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, the action was probably a mile off the fingerboard. Uh, <laughs> Got to build up those calluses. <laughs> And you know, I brought it back to I brought it back to the the school, and I sat down, and I immediately started playing. And I didn't really know how to play, but the other guys who were there that knew how to play, it was sort of like a one guy knows a chord, he shows it to you, you show it to somebody else, and everybody just sort of learned together. Yeah. Uh, and because there was nothing to do, you just sort of practice for like f- five hours a day, every day. Um, and that was when I started. I was sixteen. Uh, yeah, sixteen. Uh, when I first picked up a, a guitar, uh, and it, it it just immediately became just everything that I had ever wanted to to do. Uh, were there uh, were there sort of like early um, I don't know were there any players or musicians or anything that you you specifically were trying to emulate at that time? Any major influences that uh, sort of drove your early guitar meandering? Well, that's the that's the interesting thing about that particular moment in time was that because we couldn't listen to a ton of music, there wasn't like a, a, a playlist or an album or an artist that I was listening to where I was like, oh yeah, I really want to learn how to play that song. It was just sort of oh, a. Wow. It was I actually started writing pretty much immediately because there was no. You know, we couldn't just go and look up tabs or, you know, chord charts or stuff like that. So it was, okay, I know how to play a G, a C, an F, and an A minor. Let's start writing songs. So we did. You know, I, I wrote with pretty much everybody who was there. A lot of people wrote poetry. So I would be like, give me your poetry. I'll try to put something behind it. Because I'd been singing ever since I was a kid doing theater. Uh, you know, I grew up as that musical theater kid that everybody hates. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, everything on my iPod was like, let's listen to the greatest hits of Sondheim. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, singing wasn't something that I was afraid of doing, so I did it a lot, and especially when I first started playing guitar and getting people's poetry and turning them into songs and writing my own stuff. Uh, that was just the first step. Instead of learning how to play Stairway to Heaven, I was like, I'm going to write some sort of, you know, biographical version of my life. And the first song I ever wrote actually made it onto the first album that my band put out. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, they and that band is Cannon. That band Hill, is Cannon Hill. That uh, so when when did that when did that sort of 
act form was that when you have since gone back to new york yeah, or was okay. that still so, when you're out in montana so i like fast forward to get out of montana i moved in with my dad in south carolina because uh, i didn't want to go back to new york and fall into old patterns too quick so i was like blank start i'm gonna go live with my dad in myrtle beach south carolina um so i went there and ended up getting a, a full ride to school at coastal carolina university but in the summers, uh, in between um, years of college, I would go up to Cape Cod, where my family would go in the summer since I was a little kid, and I would work to just sort of make enough money to sustain myself for the first semester, and then I'd be broke as shit for the second semester, but what are you going to do? Uh, and while I was there, I was working at a candy shop, and one of the guys I was working with was in a band, and he found out that I was singing, and I was actually busking on the street. Uh, wow. between shifts to make a little extra money and also just to sort of play. Uh, and he was like, you should really come and listen to my band. You should come and sit in with us. You sing, you should, you know, I, I would love it if you'd come. And I said, okay, fine, I'll go. So I went and I sat in the corner and the lead guitar player of that band uh, saw me walk in the room and was so uninterested in having me there. Oh, he's just, like, uh-oh. Yes. So, yeah. He was also at that point the lead singer. It was a three-piece. I, that's what I was about to get to. Yeah. yeah. He was like, this guy's going to steal my gig. Well, not even. He was just like, we don't want people like, you know, ripping off our set. And, you know, like it, it was just, you know, that sort of like, you know, this oh, has wow. to be an insulated experience. Um, so I was sitting in the corner and I, I didn't want to intrude. I, I know that feeling. I didn't want to be that guy. But the bass player, this guy at the time, uh, his name was Vaughn. And he kept, you know, basically doing that cartoon thing where he would like shake his head at this guitar in the corner with like the the nonverbal like hey pick that thing up hey pick right, go, go mm-hmm. over grab the grab the fucking guitar grab it, um, yeah. Yeah, and I just kept saying no it's not my place I'm not going to do it uh, and you know Logan the lead guitar player and singer uh, was just also super not into it and then finally I just did I, I went and grabbed this Ibanez Strat knockoff, but not even like a nice Ibanez Strat, like the like the lowest of the low Ibanez Strats. <laughs> sure. Uh, I think it had five strings. And I, uh, I plugged it into some solid state Marshall that was in the corner and I, I started playing along. And, you know, I, at the time, I had never even used a pick. I learned to play just like purely finger picking acoustic stuff. I didn't play electric guitar. So I just sort of slowly was trying to figure out how to make it happen playing with my volume on like two Mm -hmm. uh and then when i got more comfortable i would do it louder and then i started to realize that i knew all the lyrics to the songs they were doing and i just walked over to the bass player's mic and started singing louder than the lead guitar player wow uh and you were probably pretty confident with like the busking and everything else yeah exactly you you knew what you could do i didn't have a ton of inhibition and they were like we're gonna play gold on the ceiling by um uh, fuck. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking on the band name. I don't know if I know that song. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't uh, ring a bell. Two two piece out of Ohio. What the what the hell? Um, oh, Black Keys. Thank you. Uh, the Black Keys. Uh, so I knew the lyrics to that song, and so I started playing it, and he stopped singing, and I started singing, and we kept going, and then we did Sweet Home Alabama and a couple of Queen songs, and uh, four hours later, he goes, "We got a gig on Saturday. Are you going to be playing with us or not?" <laughs> and uh it's funny how that works so yeah four years later i'm uh <laughs> i'm still the rhythm guitarist and singer for cannon hill wow yeah. i know you've um you've 
shared a couple things that are on Spotify, and I checked them out um, from your last record, uh, which was called uh, Mugshot. Uh, Mugshot. Thank you. I I knew that. <laughs> uh, but so and and that was really cool. It's definitely got um kind of like this sort of blues rock vibe and, yeah i love it man. uh and then and then there's also a new single or i don't know exactly when it came out but sometime in 2020 called queen street uh and that's it's i i'm, I'm hearing a little bit of maybe um well i don't know if development or is the right word or evolution um what is like what so from the sort of blues rock sound is maybe a little more acoustic but still rocking form foundation in queen street what has been sort of like the development in the band since you've joined and, and how's how's all that work so the the cool thing about uh cannon hill that i've really loved is the difference in taste between me and logan logan has become you know my best friend in the world uh over the last few years and he and i have such different uh backgrounds in how we grew up with music uh so the way that we write together is one of us comes forward with like a half finished or not even half finished song. And then the other one just sort of takes it and we manage to sort of Tetris our influences into a song. Cool. Uh, with the, one of the songs on the um, first record, uh, Smoking Gun, that was a riff that he had been playing on just for a year. He had just been playing this sort of... Um, this this same really rhythmic attacking uh, rhythm line, and we couldn't find a song to fit it. We tried a couple of times, and nothing really came of it. And then I was in this relationship for two years in college, and she uh, she ended up you know doing that thing where that uh, people sometimes do, where they um, you know uh, sleep with somebody else, oh, and uh, <laughs> and that's that really sort of sat with me in a not great way, as you know it would sit with anybody I think and I went to the Cape um, and had this sort of like you know pain and frustration with that situation and I said I want to write like an angry three chord song and he went oh I got the riff and he started that you know that intro riff and I said great cool and in 25 minutes we had what that song was uh, and that was that was a really sort of easy birthing for a song but then Queen Street was something that I wrote. Uh, you know, it's amazing how how long the the life of a song can can take. How long the birthing of a song mm-hmm. can take. Like I wrote, mm-hmm. I wrote the first verse and chorus to Queen Street two years before we actually recorded it, and we were looking for something to record during the pandemic. Um, and I I finished the song and I sent it to Logan and Logan did what he does best, which is. Uh, arrange arrange the song for the band to do, uh, make it not just a you know sad boy acoustic song, and make it into more of a uh, cohesive um, uh, cohesive project for the whole band to work on. So he wrote the the bass part, and then I sent the uh, an idea for what I wanted the drums to be to our drummer, and then we experimented with a couple of plugins that we had never used before, and we managed to record the the basis for the song. Uh, in Logan's bedroom together uh, before the pandemic happened and then we all went separate and we recorded the rest of it um, remotely Uh, but Queen Street sounds fucking great it doesn't sound like something that was tackled so in such a disparate way if it has a a band feel and cohesive feel so kudos kudos to y'all on that thanks man Mm -hmm. that's that's awesome I'm glad it comes across that way because the, the birthing was rough 
Um, <laughs> but the, the, the best part about writing with Logan and, and performing with Cannon Hill is that we don't ever feel like we have to um, do any one specific type of music or one specific genre. We can just kind of be like, this is what I'm writing right now. How can we make it work in a way that we can all feel proud of it? Mm-hmm. And that's that's oh, something yeah. that's something that I really like about working with those guys. What um what kind of, what's your what's your what what would you say is your main acts right now? What are you playing the most uh, either either by yourself or even with the band when you guys are working on your stuff? So when I play with different people, I have a really different rig for different things that I do. So Cannon Hill has a really specific uh, setup that I use, and then when I'm by myself, I have a really specific setup both for electric and acoustic. So sure. when I'm with Cannon Hill, uh, I favor um, one pickup, uh, sort of like really minimalist um, guitar into a, a low watt tube amp with minimal pedals. That's sort of my like cool. a like a like a junior or something. Yeah, my my number one guitar right now with Cannon Hill is the uh, uh, in 2018 they released the um, the tribute double cut juniors Gibson. Oh yeah, oh, totally. yeah. So I got one of those. It was a graduation gift from my uh, girlfriend, and it was just one of the coolest presents I've ever gotten in my life. Uh, we got to Hells we yeah. got to go to Rudy's Music in New York, where I've been hanging out for years, and she was basically like, "All right, pick a guitar." Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, she's she wins all the points. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, before that, I was playing like a Squire that I had just modified within an inch of its life, routing it with like a chisel to sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> hammer and a screwdriver. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, but th- having this was having, sorry, I have it in my hands right now. Having the Junior sort of changed everything for me because it was like an off the rack guitar that sounded amazing uh, and played really easily in any environment. Because we play a lot of really heavy, um, sweaty bars. Uh, where having something that's really temperamental is not not a good idea, which I'm yeah. I'm sure you guys understand. Well, and you're not messing with like pickup selecting and, and different tones for each song. You kind of just you just play the play the music exactly. Because when I get when I get really into it in the moment, my hand starts flying. My right hand technique goes out the window, and if I'm playing a strat, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm nowhere where I want to be. And dude, I always hit hit that little switch. Yeah, dude. Speaking of, you know, I'm not. I'm just gonna say, might be might be worth checking out the click clack or whatever the fuck it's called yeah, from earlier it, with the with the click knob. Bringing it back. Honestly, that's that might be something I need to check out because it could be really good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Cannon oh, Hi- Cannon Hill is a uh, is a Gibson Les Paul Junior uh, tribute double cut with a uh, Lindy Fralin uh, P90 beautiful yeah. awesome lovely what's thing. what's your more sort of uh complicated uh rig that you're that you're when you're when you're not super worried about you know only having one pickup and not a lot of stuff to break what does your rig look like then uh when i'm not worried about that kind of thing i have a lot of stuff that i can play with for recording for really specific sounds like i built a strat with a buddy of mine uh two years ago we put together just a parts caster uh that's actually a uh american jazz master neck on a uh tradition strat which is a japanese company uh body um with text with a tex-mex loaded uh pick guard oh the sort of like hotter uh single coil yeah that, that sort of stevie ray on because uh everybody loves stevie ray that's yep. right so oh, right so i just i live on the neck pickup of that whenever i'm not worried about hitting that switch Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one of my favorite guitars right now. Uh, also a, uh, a weirdly, uh, 
it, it's definitely a sleeper. Uh, Fender released the Modern Player series, which was a made in China uh, mm-hmm. guitar with a Fender headstock, though. It's not a Squire. It's an actual full-blown Fender, but it was a right. really cheap um, Chinese model. And it's a it's a 2P90 uh, thin line telly with a mahogany body. Wow, that's a weird guitar. Isn't it? Pretty good, pretty good features there, though. Yeah, I, I really... I love, oh, I love everything about I that. I love it yeah. because it's basically the marriage of two of my favorite things in the world, which is a Telecaster and uh, a Les Paul Special. Yeah, so, I, I was going to say, it sounds a lot like... I've got, a, I've got a, an, an SG with two P90s, and it's just all mahogany two, two P90s, and that's it's pretty much like that guitar plus a Tele. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just think that, that Telecasters are just the most beautiful thing that has ever been invented just a cutting board with a neck it's just yep. awesome <laughs> um leo leo had it right man but yeah, um agreed yes sir so there's that uh and then in terms of are you um, are you much of a pedal guy so i'm not really that much of a pedal guy i do have pedals and i do use them but i have very few but i use them every time pedals are definitely are there are do you have like one or two staple that you t- t- uh, pedals that you tend to come back to yes absolutely and it's it's the core of my my electric sound uh is the jhs prestige which one is that so it's a it looks like a little mini stomp box um Uh with one knob (laughs) and it's got like a it's gold and it has a top hat with a rabbit disappearing into it oh yeah they don't make that anymore no they they discontinued it so i'm gonna have to find another one to buy as a backup um, because I really, it's just, it's their, it's a boost, right? So yeah, it's a boost, but it's, um, it's sort of like a, where you have the dial is what the pedal does. Mm-hmm. So I have an enlarged, uh, dial on there that I can use with my foot, uh, to get oh, it, cool. to Sweet. get a different sound. So I can actually like lightly put my toe on the, uh, dial and sort of turn my foot a little bit if I want to get something else from zero to well, 25 just... on the, um, uh, from like zero to uh, six to nine, uh, you get sure. a uh, it's a buffer, which is great oh. if I'm having like a like sound issues, uh, any sort of connected like if I'm getting a, a buzz I don't want to get or if I'm not having as much clarity as I want, I can disconnect the pedals at the front of my train, go right into the Prestige and turn it on to around uh, seven o'clock and get a good buffer sound. Dope. Uh, from 9 to 12 it's a boost and then from 12 all the way back down to 6 it's a uh, um, it's an overdrive so I usually when when everything's going fine <laughs> I have it uh, <laughs> I have it around 11 so I get just on the edge of an overdrive sound with a boost that cool. just pushes yeah. it doesn't color the sound it just pushes the front end of the amp so I, it, it makes it sound a little bit heavier and thicker, which probably doesn't do much, but it's a big security blanket for me. You just leave that on all the time and then just control the tone with your foot? Yeah, and then if I want something super clean, I'll just turn it all the way off and uh, get that sort of acoustic sound if you turn the tone on the guitar and the volume both down to like four. Yeah. Because um, I run my I run my amp pretty pretty hot. What uh? Well, I know I know at least one of your amps. Um, <laughs> what you've got? What are you? What are you? Uh, what are you? What are you running these days? So I yeah. Uh, when Henry and I met, uh, he sold me a uh, Supro Blues King Twelve. 
Uh, I love that. It's the, one of the new ones, right? Yep. And I, I Dude, love that great thing. Stuff. Uh, that's my yeah. favorite amp for when I'm not with Cannon Hill, when I'm by myself, because it's, it's, I don't need pedals with that amp. It's, it's great. If I need to go to a gig here in the city, it's light. I can just mm-hmm. carry that and my guitar and be totally fine. Uh, cause it's got an, uh, an effects loop. I can just put the prestige right on top of the amp and be totally fine. Um, nice. but with Cannon Hill, I play a really, really heavily modified, uh, Tweed Blues Jr. Nice. What did what's what's what are the mods? Uh, have you heard of the Bill M mods for uh, Blues Juniors? I'm not. No, you I'm know, not honestly, familiar. that's I for some reason have never owned a Blues Junior. I've had a Deville, but I've I've never gone the Blues Junior out, so I don't really. I'm not super familiar. What are, what are those? Do? All right, Blues Juniors are like my favorite amps because they're so uh, versatile and really modifiable. Um, but Bill M was some guy in Wisconsin or something that figured out a way to bypass a lot of the um, the circuit issues that came with the stock Blues Juniors. And uh, he, he managed to do a twin stack and he put a standby switch in and he uh, replaced the reverb tank and managed to rewire it so the reverb sounded better. He took a reverb from a Princeton and put it into the, uh, into the Blues Junior. Um, he... I forget what he called it, but he cut a wire and resoldered it somewhere else, and it it just turned what was a really dark tone with the stock blues junior into something really bright and clear. So you almost get like a weird voxy kind of chime. Oh wow, badass! Uh, so I I gave it to I gave my amp to this guy in Dennis, Massachusetts. Uh, he has a company called Frank's Amps. He's on Reverb. Totally worth checking him out. And he. Um, he took my amp and did all the Bill M mods, uh, replaced the stock speaker with a Weber uh, that I really love, um, a Weber Weber El Nico, and uh, put a standby switch in, which is great because uh, I I don't really like amps that don't come with a standby switch because yeah it's there it's just nice to have, um, and I I really love it. It's covered in beer stains and uh, it it got burned a little bit at uh, when <laughs> so, when somebody dropped a cigarette in an outdoor gig. Um, is all is all good tweed amps? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It looks like shit. They relic them. You can you can charge more if it looks like that. Oh my god, no. <laughs> uh, but I, I I love it and I play it all the time. So it's it's pretty great. One of the things we haven't really talk too much about is obviously you're you're a musician you're singing playing guitar in cannon hill you're also an actor and i'm curious you know maybe some of the the really uh specific intricacies of being an actor probably a little bit beyond the scope of this podcast here here on gear buds but i'm curious you know for almost sort of like from a musician standpoint do you see do you feel any sort of overlap between the disciplines of being an actor and musician like do, do you feel them feed into each other does it make it harder or easier to do either one all right so being an actor and a musician especially right now is something that is really really useful to me um because being an actor in this day and age you kind of have to have a gimmick um there aren't a lot of shows anymore that are park and bark. You know, you're going to stand at this point and sing and never move and never, you know, it, the days of, you know, Les Mis and that they're, they're gone. Yeah. Um, so more and more shows are being written where the actors actually play the instruments themselves. Right. Sure. And for me, that has been amazing. 
uh, I actually I, I don't I don't know how much I'm actually allowed to talk about this. Uh, so I'll I'll give the the vaguest uh, <laughs> amount of information possible. <laughs> Uh, but I actually, in February, got cast in a musical that's going to Broadway in 2021. That's uh, congratulations! Yeah, that's congrats, amazing, man. That's huge. Thank you so much. I, I can't share the title yet. I don't think because uh, nobody else okay. has. But it's it's all actor musician, and it's all original country music written by two people out of Nashville who are absolutely brilliant. Um, oh, wow. And it's it was just one of those things where uh, for a couple of months this last year, I was auditioning for. Uh, you know, five days a week constantly. And I was bringing my guitar to every single audition because all of these new projects are, must be able to play an instrument, must be able to play an instrument, must be able to uh, emulate this person's sound, must be able to do that. It's, it's, there's no more just walk in with your 16 bar cut of musical theater and, and get the job. So being able to have, you know, I would, I was playing, I was playing my acoustic guitar so much uh, that I actually wore through the finish in about two months. Sweet. Holy shit. Yeah, it was, That's awesome, though. It's, it's <laughs> not. It just means I was looking at it, and I was like, my right-hand technique fucking sucks. Ah, no uh, way. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, hey, it, it, mean, it means you're busy in, yeah. in, your, in your auditioning, so that's, I mean, that's of, huge. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's really, really fun. Um, but actually, for this particular audition where I got, uh, where I, I booked this show, uh, it said I had to go in and play a country song, which I have a lot of country songs in my, you know, repertoire for just busking and you know playing bar gigs and stuff. But sure. you're you're always trying to, you know, I'm sure you guys feel this. You're always trying to emulate the sound of the original record when you're playing covers. Yep. yep, of course. And for the audition, I really wanted to not do that. I didn't want to go in and play, you know, take it easy and try to do the Don Felder thing, or not Don Felder. Do what have, was have his your, name? Uh, uh, he, that was uh, Glenn Frey. Glenn Frey. Glenn Frey. Thank you. Um, you wanted your own rendition. Yeah, I, I wanted to do something that didn't sound like somebody else. But I'd been playing these bar gigs for so many years at this point that it was almost impossible for me to be relaxed <laughs> and not trying to sound like Glenn Frey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Snap out of it. <laughs> yeah. So I I was standing in line waiting to go in, and I had you know take it easy sitting there. You know, I was strumming the chords and stuff, and I just said, I can't do it. I, I'm not going to get this job if I go in there and, and do this. So I actually went in and played an original song that I only had the first verse and a chorus for, um, which is a big no-no in the theater world. You you don't play yeah. originals uh, when you're auditioning. So I went in and I played the first verse and the chorus, and I just twanged it up and, <laughs> and made it sound, wow. you know, doing those those bends where you, you hit the fifth above and you do the... You do the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the pedal steel, the pedal steel yeah. bend. Yep. Yeah. So I, I made it as twangy as humanly possible. And then they said, Oh, that's a great sound. Uh, great song. Who is that? And I said, Oh, it's a Chris Stapleton tune. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, it's a, it's a B side. I don't know. I've got it's so many songs. Actually. It's like, yeah, okay. We just haven't heard it. Fair yeah, enough. exactly. I was just like, and, and luckily they didn't ask any questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> But it was it was just one of those moments that it was like okay again the the ability to be both a, a gigging musician and an actor be going hand in hand or it's it's been very it's been very good for me. Dude, that is that is something I honestly knew basically nothing about, and it's being so far removed from the sort of musical theater world that was super interesting. But now I I, I mean it begs the question we already sort of already talked about Johnny Depp like I'm not going to necessarily ask who the best is. I'm just going to ask, are there any good 
famous actor musicians? Yes. Like, are, 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 who, yeah, who, who would you who would you point to? So many. Um, right off the top of my head, the first one who is a huge inspiration to me is Oscar Isaac. Um, oh, I didn't know Oscar Isaac was a musician. Okay, so watch the Coen Brothers movie Inside Lewin Davis. I, I still haven't seen that. Okay, it's all one right, of I my will. favorite movies. It's uh, T Bone Burnett did all the music for it. Right, and right. Uh, and he he sings and plays live. Uh, oh, wow. He oh, does all okay. the. I'm definitely watching that this weekend. That's fucking awesome. He does all the Dave Van Ronk um, catalog, which is okay. which, who Done. was like a Done. who was Dylan before Dylan. Um, I I'm super stoked about this because I love I think Oscar Isaac's an excellent actor. Ex Machina is one of my favorite movies the last yeah, he, however many years. It's, so. Oh, it's so good. But he's in the in the movie. He's just this you know folk singer guy in the West Village in the city, and he plays this beautiful um, uh, L double O uh, from 1929. Cool. And it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a guitarist's, you know, wet dream, that movie. It's just gorgeous. And Justin Timberlake's in it and plays this Martin. It's, it's just funny. It's great. Uh, Adam driver. I didn't even think of him, but I would, I would have to, I would have to point to Justin Timberlake as another good actor. Musician. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely musician first actor second, but, um, yeah, totally. But still, uh, again, a great example. Um, super talented. Let me think. Uh, Any others off the top of your head that you think are, are are sort of worth mentioning? Well, yeah, I mean, you got you got Jack Black, uh, who's uh, you know he's the goat. Yeah, <laughs> he really him. is. He's not like a virtuoso by any means, but he's so over the top though. It's just like exactly. that's musical theater, right? Just like ten times bigger than you know, it actually is. It's that's that's such an interesting one too. I recently, because I mean, High Fidelity is just one of those formative movies for me, especially being a Chicagoan. But there was a, I think, Consequence of Sound did a. Uh, an oral history of that recently where it's just like this super long insider thing and that's yeah i you know it's weird it's funny i almost because he's i feel like jack black is just jack black he's almost beyond being an actor or musician he's just like a character he's so unto himself that i i I don't i don't know that i would ever even come up with him but that's such a good answer because he's exemplary at all the above and did you know that that last the last scene in high fidelity is actually like him live singing that shit i did not know that that's awesome yeah, the, I guess the story is that they went and did the record. They recorded it in a in a studio with that backing band. Who there were some Chicago musicians. I can't remember what band they were in right now. But they went into a studio with Steve Albini and did it. And then for some reason, when it came time to actually shoot the scene, Jack Black could not lip sync to what he had previously done. It was just so off that they so, couldn't even use it. Wow! So they had to they had to sort of pivot, get a mobile recording unit out there, and then record that band live. And and it's and it's either the first or second take is what's actually in the movie. That's wow. awesome. They did of, that at the of end Let's of Get It On, which is like a super oh, fucking really? hard song to sing. That's yeah. the song? Wow, I gotta watch yeah. that again. Um, he did that at the end of uh, School of Rock, too, when they're doing the credits, and it's like all the little kids are playing, and he's like up there ripping. That was all live. That's live? Oh, I uh-huh. did not It's all know one that. take. It's all one shot. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I really love it when actors are able to do that. Uh, like, Doesn't Jane- it bug you? when they're not like when they overdub it's so blatantly obvious and it, it sounds like it's just coming out of a studio and i'm like oh god this oh there's there's also nothing worse than an actor who can't play guitar and uh or oh, or yes, an instrument and yes. then they're filming they're being filmed playing and they're oh. they've got like they're strumming and it's not on the rhythm or they're playing a g chord when it's actually a c chord and i'm just oh. i it's it's uh, that is absolute it, it drives me up a wall. Like, I'll <laughs> turn a movie off. Like I will, li- I will literally, 
like ask ask my girlfriend. We'll be sitting there watching a movie, and you know, an actor will go up who I really like, and he'll be like, "All right, this next song," and I'll just be like, "Nope, I know that guy can't play." We are moving <laughs> on. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> Uh, Dude, that's fucking that's great. Awesome, so what's uh what's what's next for I know you 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 mentioned to me at least um sort of offline uh Ken Hill is going to be doing some new stuff in the future. What what's next for you guys? Yeah, we're uh we're recording new stuff. We're actually recording that song that I uh that I played in that audition. Uh just not oh, cool. not countrifying cool. it. Um <laughs> but it's uh yeah, we we're we've got stuff in the works. We're writing as we speak. Um over the next couple of months we should be able to uh get together and sort of in different rooms in the same house be able to record um which yep. will be great and it's also it's just better for isolating because we don't have access to a studio right now but we can we can make it work hell yeah um it'll be really fun yeah when is when is it coming out what's the plan uh it should be out in the fall uh we're gonna record all during july and august and uh mix it and get it done uh whenever we have the time and then put it out in the fall Beautiful. Well, I can assure you that as soon as that is ready to come out into the world, we will be plugging it for you and putting it out on our socials. But um, you know, man. that was such a that was such an awesome talk. Thank you so much for yeah, joining thank us. You, no. Thank you Learned so much for lot. having me. This uh, was awesome, man. Great fucking guest, dude. Um, if people want to check you out and check out your music and your acting and all of that kind of stuff, where should we send them? Uh, you can check out my Instagram. It's at Noah Pelty, all one word. Uh, and then the band too is uh, at Cannon Hill, C A N O N Hill. Um, yeah, that and both of, all of the websites and stuff are linked through the Instagram. Perfect, awesome. Uh, and as soon as you can, uh, you know, make any sort of announcements about the ridiculously exciting Broadway show you've got coming up. Let us know. We'll definitely make sure to uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to check that it, out man. and put I'm, it up. Yeah, I know, me too. He pitched it exactly. I'm in. Thanks a lot, hopefully, guys. Hopefully, re- travel restrictions and all that sort of stuff uh, are a little bit more eased up by that point, so we can make our way out to Broadway and check you out. Yeah, you're and, telling um, me. <laughs> stay safe, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that was awesome, and uh, you know, love you guys. All right, love you guys. <laughs> Have a, a good weekend, man. Great Later. to meet you. Great to talk.